I want to go after something first that uh, the ministry team um, felt this morning. Prayer for those of us that need readers. <laughs> um, I hadn't thought about it at all, and then I was sitting here this morning, and it was just like, I'm in the room to heal. I'm in the room to heal. The healer is in the room during, during worship. When, when we, the carriers of his, of his image, the carriers of his authority are in the room, he is in the room to heal. And this is what uh, they felt to go after today. And so if I am reading something that you are dealing with or you know somebody is dealing with, I want to invite you to stand up immediately and grab hold in faith of your healing. Amen? Do you hear the faith in that? And the authority that we have, chronic fatigue and chest pain associated with pneumonia. My girl, Lisa, I know you're at home because you're dealing with this. We declare healing and wholeness over you in the name of the authority of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood that heals, restores, and redeems. We command all pneumonia to bow at the foot of the cross and be completely disintegrated from your body in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone else dealing with chest pain, pneumonia, any of that? We declare, those of you, raise your hands towards Gabby and Chris in the back. Declare healing in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you are in the room to heal. And through our words and the laying on of hands, Gabby and Christopher, you are healed in the name of Jesus Christ. We command all pain to bow before the throne. To bow before the throne, before the name of Jesus, we declare peace, restoration, and healing. Pain, muscle, nerve, there's a knot in the right upper back causing pain and that's radiating down the right arm. If that is you, stand up. Come on. Come on. Come on. Look at this. Come on. All right. I want you guys right now to go to these people. Also, if you have lower back pain, stand up. I want you to run to them right now. The healer is in the room. Faith is in the room to heal. If you need healing, raise your hand right now. We declare church. We declare together, right? I want to hear your voice. You know why? Because You have the authority in your voice to declare healing and to partner with the healer. It is actually our job and our right. So we declare healing over radiating pain. Radiating pain, you must stop. You must bow to the name and the authority that is in Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Jesus over your sons and daughters. And we declare complete healing. Nerve pain, be healed. I release peace. You feel that? We release peace. Release, if you're laying hands on someone, release the love of God and the peace of God right now. The love of God and the peace of God. We just declare complete healing over all nerve damage. Whatever it has been named by a doctor, we cause it to be submitted to the name of Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who gave his blood and his body for your healing. Jesus, thank you. We just declare it right now in your name. We declare peace, wholeness, and a grace for you to stand in healing. A grace for you to declare 
I just right now, I release a mental grace where the enemy, if you have been dealing with thoughts like a buzzing or like there's just things that have been going around in your mind and you cannot cause the spinning and the thoughts to stop, would you stand? Jesus, thank you. I just speak peace over your mind right now. Peace over your dreams. Peace over your mind. I feel the peace of God just going throughout the room. Lord, I thank you for your angels that are on assignment right now. We release the angelic host to partner and to minister in this room right now. I want to tell you, even if I didn't name something that you are dealing with, he is here to touch you. He is here to heal you. He is here. Is he here? If you're here, he's here. We bless you at home. We bless you wherever you are. If you're driving, wherever you're at right now, if you can't be in the room with us, we feel for you. Because we know you want to be here. We bless you. In Jesus' name. There is something with nerve damage. I just keep hearing. All nerve damage. Wow. I'm like seeing little black um, things around the nerves. If you're dealing with nerve damage and you've been harassed in your nerves, I command the harassment to stop in the name of Jesus. I speak peace to your nerves. I speak wholeness to your nerves. Where there has been trauma that has caused continual nerve damage, I say trauma cease in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. I release the love of Jesus. I want you right now to just picture Jesus in front of you. Just receive his love. Jesus, we just receive your love. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we receive your comfort, your peace, your love. Father, thank you that you are enthroned among us. Just take, just breathe them in. I feel, yeah, Mark, his peace is just here. There are some of you that were not going to make it today, but you got here. You got in the room, barely. And the Lord is here to meet you. He is here for you. Like it was an all-out battle for you to get here. Who is that? It's like it was an all-out battle for you to get here. What you carry is so profound and so powerful and so needed. The enemy did not want you to receive the fullness of what God has for you or your authority to be partnered today with heaven. And so we just acknowledge you before the Lord. Thank you. We needed you here. We, it isn't so much what you needed to hear, but we need body. We need one another. We need each other. I need Laura. I need Beth. We need you. Amen. You need to tell somebody that. People need to hear that you need them. Whew. It's 11-11. <laughs> of course it is, right? Oh, y'all, it is my, um, 
and fear and trembling joy to be here with you guys today. Worship team, I cannot imagine missing a Sunday. I cannot imagine not being in this room when you start worship because there is something profound that is turned around in me and made straight and right when you guys strum that guitar, play that key, hit that, hit the snares, release your voice. Literally something in me that is wrestling all of a sudden is made right and settled. It is profoundly powerful what happens in corporate worship. So I want to encourage you. It isn't so much about you being on time because we want to see these seats. We want you to connect with the one who connects us to him and to one another that sets those things right. Amen. There's so much for you in the house. There's so much for you in the house. Right, Mo? He says, do not neglect. Why? Because he knows we need each other. At least I need you. (laughs) All right. I put my screen up to 200 so I didn't have to wear my glasses and then be like dizzy, (laughs) nauseous. We want to hear if you're healed. No, excuse me. You're right, Holy Spirit. When you're healed, we want to know because we want to celebrate with you the goodness of God in your life. We want to hear when you've been healed or touched in any way. We want to hear the testimony of Jesus in your life. Amen? So please let us know. Um, I would like to just quickly introduce my mama. This is my mom sitting here on the front row, Margie Clark. I won't make you stand because you, you could stand if you want it, but I know it's like <laughs> the last thing you probably want to do. There she is. <laughs> And my amazing husband, who just turned 54. Woo! Yeah! Happy birthday! Come on, come on. Feel free to wish him a happy birthday. Put some money in his pocket. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, how many of you here are in our Ignite school? Come on. Look at that. All throughout the room. Let's go. Let's go. Last week at Ignite, um, I was teaching, actually Kim and Alex and I are teaching from this series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Y'all ever heard of that? Yeah. It's been around for a while. It's actually really important. Um, And the curriculum is phenomenal. It is so deep. And so wide, and we're actually only able to really get to about 10%, about the tip of the iceberg during our Ignite sessions. But last week I spoke, um, I spoke on knowing yourself that you may know God. Think about that. How could it be that I cannot know God apart from knowing myself? The premise of this teaching is that we cannot truly know God. We can read his word. We can know um, the do's and don'ts. We can understand the ins and outs of religion. But we cannot truly know God apart from knowing ourselves. How is that true? Don't worry, Ignite students, I'm not going to do the full teaching that you've already heard. (laughs) But I could not shake 
that I was supposed to, to expand on what we introduced, briefly introduced last week. Um, I just felt so strongly this word for our house. Awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are intricately related. I'm going to say that again. Awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are intricately related. In fact, the challenge to shed our old self, right, what Paul tells us to do, in order to live authentically in our new self, strikes at the very core of authentic spirituality. We observe this throughout church history. Many of our forefathers and foremothers spoke on this. As I mentioned, Ephesians, Paul, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, and this is just uh, summarized. Paul says, put off your old self, right? What was dead and buried at the cross and at your baptism, your old self. Yeah, but we every day kind of try and like, come on. Can I get any life in that old self again? <laughs> or maybe we don't. You put off your old self to put on your new self. And what is that new self? Is that we were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. So if you can't fully know God without knowing yourself, it starts to make a little more sense, doesn't it? Augustine wrote, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here in the room. And that as I speak, your words of truth, of conviction, of wholeness, of love, go deep into our hearts I thank you that you are here to divide between bone and marrow, to divide between truth and lies. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And this was his prayer. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Would you just put your hands out right now with me? And let's join Augustine in this prayer. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Holy Spirit, teach me the ways of my heart, the ways of my thoughts, the ways of my life, that I may draw closer to knowing the ways of God. St. Teresa of Avila wrote, Almost all problems in spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. You ever sit across the table at somebody having coffee or whatever, and they're talking and they have the same issues over and over again, and you're looking at them like, didn't we just have this conversation? Do they not know themselves? (laughs) And they're acting like it's a new thing or that it's actually their husband's fault or their kid's fault or their boss's fault. How come they can't see this? Why? Almost all problems in spiritual life stem from lack of self-knowledge, self-awareness. 
John Calvin in 1530 wrote, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. Guess what they are? (laughs) The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. Do you hear the theme? The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life. Or at least we live our lives trying to fulfill someone else's expectations for us. Or even our perception of their expectations for us. Guilty. Guilty. How can we know God if we don't even know our true selves? You see, we were created. Remember Genesis 1? We were created in the image and the likeness of our creator. We are his what? His image bearers. His imagers. But most of the time, we don't entirely know what that even means. What does that mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Now, does that mean that he has two arms, two legs? He has a brain. He has eyes, nose, ears. He smells, he tastes. Okay. Maybe. But because we don't know what this means, we devote ourselves to dying daily, denying anything that is of the flesh or repenting often of our flesh. We're identifying something as flesh that was probably actually part of how we were created. Bear with me. We repent of our flesh and our humanity. We beat ourselves over the back. I can't believe it. I'm so human. What were you thinking? You ever feel that way? Is it just me? (laughs) But we are disconnected from the true self that is aching to be known within us. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does it simply mean that I am spirit, soul, and body? And in that way I was made in the image and likeness of God? That I'm triune in nature? Or is it much deeper and even sometimes more simpler than that? Could it be that also in the way that we think, that we feel, that we experience life. Nature's pleasures, people, pain, joy, expectation, grief, sadness, depression. What are you feeling right now? What are you feeling? Are you aware of it? All of these emotions that exist, could it be 
that I get that from my creator, that in the way I think, feel, taste, experience life, go through life, make judgments, have perceptions, that in that way, in that capacity and in that ability is one of the ways I was made in the image and the likeness of God. We were created as humanity with a unique capacity and ability to be angry, to be passionate, to be in love, to be lovesick. Have you read the Song of Solomon? (laughs) Oh, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eye. He woke me up one morning with that scripture. I had never read the Psalms before. I didn't even know what I was going to. Could it be that in that way we were created? That those feelings and those emotions and those passions that you have that you try to ignore, to stuff down, to say they don't exist? Because if for one moment you actually follow that thought, it scares the hell out of you. That if you actually follow that feeling, it might lead to something that would feel so out of control, so overwhelming, so scary, you might not find your way back. And so what do we do? We control it. We pretend it's not there. We pick up a mask and we put it on. How are you? Oh, I'm great. So good to see you. Yeah, you too. Uh huh. Oh, it worked. Anyone? It could just be me. (laughs) I could be just preaching to myself. All of us, for various reasons at various times in our lives, have learned to shut down, shut out, silence, or completely ignore our feelings. Feelings is like a bad word, right? All the men in here are like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm talking to you too, just so you know. (laughs) Whether you were raised in a home where feelings were not allowed, or they were condemned or made fun of, or only certain feelings were permissible. In my home, my dad was angry like that. And you never knew what was going to set him off. And he was the only one allowed to be angry like that. Right? It was his house, his castle. My poor mom. (laughs) Maybe you were raised in a home where everyone was over-emotional. Are you a brother with sisters? (laughs) Rama! Right? Where everyone was over-emotional and you decided that emotions are crazy, can't be trusted, irrational, and lead to no good. Maybe that was an inner vow. Maybe you never said it out loud, but you constantly made judgments about people that were very free to express their feelings, very in touch and in tune with their feelings That was a freedom you didn't necessarily want to have. It feels out of control. Doesn't it? When we deny, hear this please. When we deny our feelings. When we 
When we deny our feelings and our emotions, we are actually denying our humanity and the way in which we were created to connect and commune with our creator. I've met with people that can't hear God. I can't hear the Lord. How do you hear the Lord so clearly? And I begin to talk to him. Well, sometimes it comes in a vision, a feeling, a thought, a da 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 and as I, as I talk with them, what, what turns out is that they've completely turned off feeling. Which is a major way God communicates his peace and his love, his acceptance, his joy. His cautions, that knot in the stomach. You ever get that? That feeling like, ooh, I need to go this way and not that way. Well, if we shut off our humanity and then we cry out to a God that is speaking to us, but we have silenced How he can speak to us because it feels out of control. It's overwhelming. What do we do? We then need to seek a priest or a prophet. Or we can only hear God through someone else's message. And we have a father that is crying out. We have a king who says, I desire to dwell with you daily. We have a spirit that never leaves us or forsakes us. And yet we cannot connect because we have shut down our humanity in the way in which we were meant to reflect and reveal the goodness of our king and connect with him. Is this hitting anybody? Y'all are so quiet and I realize it could just be because it is hitting you or I could be out to lunch. Who knows? Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Ignoring your emotions is turning your back on reality. This book that I have, it's called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Trimper Longman. They summarize Why awareness of our feelings is so important. And I want to read it to you real quick. It said, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. So we want to to relate to a real God. But yet we're not operating in reality. Just saying. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear. Through emotional denial, distortion, and disengagement, we strain out anything disrupting or disturbing in order to gain control. In our inner world. What are we so afraid of? How small is our God? How small is our God? That we have to protect him. From our emotions and our fear. And what we're really thinking and experiencing. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget 
that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Before God. Now, I am telling you, we have got to partner with Holy Spirit. Not for God's sake, but for our sake. I want to challenge you, in fact, in your partnership with Holy Spirit, allow yourself to feel the full weight of your feelings, as scary as it may be. Allow them without censoring them. Listen, we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. If we are going to be a church in which the Father brings in the harvest, where he brings in the lost, those that need to be healed, saved, and delivered, then we ourselves must be operating in reality. I'm just saying, right? I am so desperate to not wear a mask, to not operate in fear, and to recognize that when God has become so small in my life that I do something about it, that I repent, that I humble myself before the Lord and stop trying to protect him from me. Have you guys ever done that? Maybe you didn't know you were doing that. We need the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this. I would encourage you not to embrace the fullness of your life, of your feelings, of your emotions, of what you're wrestling with, what you're ignoring, apart from relationship with Holy Spirit. Because apart from Holy Spirit, we could go all kinds of highway and weird way, and it's not good. But Jesus said, I must go. That the promise of my father can come. When Jesus was baptized. Remember this? I'm going to it. With this big old computer, I don't even have room for my Bible up here. (laughs) In Luke 3. Luke 3.21 Right? John is baptizing everyone. He's telling them to repent. The Pharisee shows up and he's like, who told you to repent? Who told you? Everyone comes. Jesus shows up. He says, I must be baptized in order to fulfill the word of my father. He says, Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and he was praying, Jesus was praying. Guess what? The heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descends. The heaven is open. Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice. You guys imagine that. Jesus has come up out of the water. He's declaring the goodness of God. Heaven opens. The the promise of the Father comes. Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine being there at the Jordan when that is taking place? And a voice comes from heaven. Much more masculine than mine. And says, you You are my son. You are my son. The beloved. 
I want you to just hear that right now. You are my son. You are my daughter, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the very moment, the very culmination of time in Jesus' life, where God puts on public display the identity of his son. How significant is that? His very cousin didn't even know he was the son of God until that moment. Only his mother and father knew. No one else knew. He had done nothing special. He was of no account in anyone's life. He had not earned favor with God or man in that moment by anything that he had done. He just was. He just is. He is filled with the love and the acceptance of his father in this moment. His identity, his very identity is solidified within him. There's, when I said, here's my mom. There's a transference of blood and family and history and love. Here's my husband. Here's my dad. Here's my son. Here's my daughter. There's something so profound in that moment of I am identifying myself with you. You are mine. I am yours. Can you hear the spirit of the father saying that to you today? His identity as the beloved son was affirmed by the voice of his father and the presence of who? Who came ascending upon him in that moment? To solidify his identity. The Holy Spirit. And then guess what? We actually see the significance of this moment by what takes place after. In Luke 4, 1 through 13. I think you guys might have it up there. For the sake of time, we are going to uh, (laughs) go through this pretty quickly. It says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now catch this. Being tempted for 40 days. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Not in the last day, but for 40 days. He ate and drank nothing while he was being tempted. I want you to think about what 40 days of temptation must look like while you're not able to feed your flesh. What was he feeding upon? What was he feasting upon in, that, in those 40 days in the wilderness? What was it? The word of the father. The words of his father that when he came up out of his baptism and he thanked God, the spirit of God ascended, the heavens opened and the father said, what? 
This is my son. So for four, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I am. So for 40 days while the enemy is badgering him. Now it would not say he was tempted if he hadn't been tempted, right? What does the temptation look like? He does, he's not dealing with, well, as far as we know, he's not dealing with pornography on the internet. But I will tell you this, as a young child, I had evil things that were thrown at my mind. Pictures I had never looked at would constantly barrage me. Murders. Sexual things that I had never seen, would never desire. I was tormented, oftentimes. Especially as a teenager. Things I knew I had never looked upon. Where was it coming from? It was literally driving me crazy. I thought, I have to be locked up. I've shared this with you guys before. I thought, I can't ever become a mom. Or what happens if I become a mom? Because I would see images of things happening that should never happen to children. And I didn't know that this could even be something that the enemy would throw at me. Because, you know, we weren't really taught that there's a real devil. We're taught that he has... Right, no authority, or there's just this picture of it. I didn't know the schemes and the plans of the enemy to kill, destroy. And, and somehow, yes, and to steal, somehow I was being barraged. I imagine Jesus was being barraged in the wilderness with things that he would never have desired. But it was torment to see people being mutilated. The temptation to manifest his godly nature and destroy the works of the enemy right then and right there. So that no one would ever be tormented by the devil. I bet that was the temptation. We don't know exactly what he was tempted with until the last day where it talks about it. But I guarantee you, he was tempted and he was struggling just as we do. But what did he do? He stirred himself up by the spirit of God. According to his identity and the word of the father. What has the father spoken over you? What has been the word that has been spoken over you that has kept you surviving in times where you wanted to give up? Can you think of it right now? Is there a scripture? Is there something he's dropped in your spirit, in your heart? Something somebody said to you, man, I just feel like God wants to encourage you with this. And that thing has been your lifeline. That was Jesus's identity for 40 days and 40 nights as the enemy is barraging him and actually tempting him. He was allowing his, the words of his father to form in him a strength and a grace that far outweighed anything the enemy could throw at him. We have been given the same power. We have been given the same position, the same permission in our relationship with the Father through Christ. It says... Afterwards, when Jesus was hungry, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, what does it say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? What had Jesus just feasted on for 40 days and 40 nights? The word of God, his father. You are my beloved son, in whom I am pleased. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in this moment of time. And the devil said to him, all of this authority all of this authority I will give to you Listen to this. And their glory for this has been delivered to me. And I can give it to whomever I wish. Was that true? We did give him all authority. When we believed the lie in the garden, we handed over what we were meant to rule and reign to the deceiver, which is the very, this right here, that all authority is the very reason why Jesus came as a man to take back that authority, to give it to us. So yes, in this moment, In that moment in time, unfortunately, it was very true. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. Accuser. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then he brings him to Jerusalem and he sits him upon a pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you, if you, if you, if you. Who do you think you are? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, Oh, let's just call on the angels now. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and he said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Whoo. How did Jesus do it? How did he do it? How did he face the barrage of temptation? The accusation. The insults. It's like the devil was just kind of like, hey, I got authority that you no longer have, that you don't have. And you're a man now. You're not God. Jesus stayed within the word of the Father. 
He allowed the boundaries of the truth to define him. We must do what Jesus did. He encouraged and strengthened himself in the Holy Spirit, in the love of his Father, and in his true identity. Living and swimming. I want you to picture this. (laughs) Living and swimming in the river of God's deep love for us in Christ is at the very heart of true spirituality. Soaking in his love enables us to surrender To God's will, especially when it seems contrary to what we can see, feel, or figure out ourselves. This experiential knowing of God's love and acceptance provides the only sure foundation for loving and accepting our true selves. Are you still with me? Only... The love of God in Christ, in partnership with Holy Spirit, is capable of bearing the weight of your true identity. It is only in that place. Can you even bear the weight of your true identity? See, that's the enemy's greatest lie. Is to keep you wearing a mask. To keep you thinking that you have to hide what's really going on inside. God has shaped us and crafted us intentionally with unique personalities, thoughts, dreams, temperaments, feelings, talents, gifts, desires. He has planted true seeds of self within you. They make up the authentic Mark, Tammy, Kathy, Luke, Forrest. They make up the unique Deborah. Pat, Larry, Jan, George, Beth. They make up the unique you. All of that makes up the uniqueness of who you are. The place in which you reflect God. We are so deeply loved and treasured. These three powerful, powerful temptations, however, threaten us. The temptations that Jesus went through threaten us as well. Each in its own way screams, God's love for you will never be enough. You are not lovable. You are not good enough. Jesus' temptations in the wilderness outline the three false identities or masks that the adversary offers us all the time. And they show us the choices that we too must make to remain faithful to our God-given unique identity and life. Temptation number one, I am what I do. Performance. What was the number one statement the adversary kept challenging Jesus with? If you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, then do, then make, then perform. 
The word says that Jesus was yet to start his ministry. He had not gone to the cross. He had done nothing publicly. He was of no account. He was like you and me. There was no reason to believe that he was anyone special according to the life that he had led so far. What contribution had he made to the world? Our culture asks us the same questions. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> what have you achieved? What have you demonstrated? How have you demonstrated your, youth, your youthfulness? Usefulness. Or your youthfulness. <laughs> what do you do? What is it that when we meet somebody, hi, I'm Michelle. What do you do? We're trying to get to know this person because we have acquainted what they do with their identity. If you tell me what you do, I will somehow know you. Well, the truth is that you're probably doing a job that you're passionate about. And in some way, I am going to get to know who you are because of what you do. But if you're in a, in a job where you're like, this job is not me. Thank God this job is not me. Or you could be sitting here going, I love my job. It's everything I was created to do. We measure our value and our worthiness by our success. Now, maybe that's not any of you here. I realize I may be, you know, talking to the father's house or something. I don't know. (laughs) But we measure, I shouldn't have said that. We measure our value and our worthiness by our success in work, family, school, marriage, our relationships, our kids, When we feel that we haven't measured up, we move harder and faster. We look for new masks to put on. And sometimes we go inward into depression out of shame. Or perhaps even blame others for our predicaments. You guys still with me? It is so easy for earthly success and even religious success... In church, it's the same thing here. To tempt us to find our worth and our value outside of God's inexhaustible free love in and through Christ. We cannot find it apart from that. Temptation number two, I am what I have. Possessions. Jesus was taken to see all the magnificent powers of the earth. The devil basically said to him, hey, look around you, buddy. It's all mine. Because humanity, you know, that good idea gave it to me. But if you bow down and worship me, I could give it to you. Because honestly, rightfully, we know it should be yours, but. They won't tell anyone. Jesus could have in that moment taken the easy way. You ever take the easy way? The quicker way? You're like, I don't want to go around this mountain again, so we're just going to jump on over here. He said, you're nobody, but I could make you somebody. That's what he was saying. 
You have no authority, but I could give it to you. He's saying this to Jesus. Imagine what he says to us. He's saying this to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The devil played on a profound issue and fear. And probably the source of some of Jesus' security or insecurity. He was a man. Any men in here? Y'all know. You know where you wrestle. You know where your insecurities lie. Do I have authority? Do I have respect? Does it matter when I walk in the room? Our culture measures our success by what we own. Marketers spend over $15 billion each year seducing our children and our adolescents to believe that they have to have certain toys, clothes, electronic devices. That their very identities depend upon it. As adults, we're suckered into believing that we must compare ourselves to others who have more money than we do, more beautiful bodies, go on more vacations, have nicer cars. Now, I know this isn't anyone in here. Just go with me. (laughs) Our sense of self-worth is tied to our possessions and our positions. To our education. I have a confession to make. When my son Asa was getting ready to marry. Now this is my confession. This is not Alex's confession. (laughs) I know he didn't deal with these thoughts at the table. (laughs) They're getting ready to get married. And we had a dinner where we were meeting the the soon-to-be in-laws. Her parents. Now her parents both... Have done really well in life. Dad owns his own real estate business. Very successful. They go on multiple vacations. Mom is a uh, ER nurse for Kaiser. I mean, they make money, right? And we're sitting at the table and we're discussing what the future would look like for Asa and Alana and what is the best pathway financially, you know, education and work, all this stuff. And I'm sitting at the table and I'm thinking about how I was raised and what's in our bank account and my insecurities. And I was getting about this small. And I, and I, for a moment even felt bad. I felt ashamed. These were my feelings. I know my husband didn't feel this way. He's much better and more confident. (laughs) But I was faced with, Poor decisions that I had made. My upbringing. Poverty. Lack. Lack of education. All of the choices that I had made. Where I had tried to maybe. Go another path. Or or take the easier way. I found myself feeling shame. For things that I actually had no control over. Have you ever been there? Okay, But thankfully, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said something very personal and affirming. 
And I was able to collect my thoughts, remain at the table, and rebuke the adversary and re-engage. And I recognized that what Alex and I bring to my son and daughter-in-law was so valuable and needed. And it had nothing to do with financial perks and vacations or any of that. Though Those are amazing. And they get taken on vacations and do things all the time. And I'm so happy for them. But I was devaluing the wisdom. I was devaluing the inheritance. <clears throat> it's uncomparable. In that moment, I needed to remember that I am defined as a daughter who is immensely loved by God. I needed to find my personal worth in Abba, Father, who says of me, you are my beloved daughter, Michelle, in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. The revelation of this love and acceptance apart from my performance and possessions is revolutionary and will snatch you out of hell's grasp any moment if you let it. Temptation number three, and then I'm done. I know this has been long. Are you okay? Okay. Temptation number three, y'all are kind. I am, whoo, this one is, this one's harder. I am what others think. Because let's be honest, it matters to me what Deborah Crone thinks of me as a leader in this house. It matters to me what you think of me, what my husband thinks of me, what my mom thinks of me. It matters deeply that you would even show up on a Sunday that I'm speaking or that I would even be graced enough to speak into your lives. Those things matter to me deeply. But we can get addicted to what others think and we can entertain shame And thoughts of inadequacy. And so therefore we think we have to put on another mask. That will protect you from who I really am. And what I really wrestle with. And y'all you know me. I'm like let me just confess to y'all. I struggle. Right? Sometimes I'm like why did you just tell all these people that? (laughs) Two weeks ago in Ignite I confessed something. And I was like wow okay here we go. We do. We have to. We, listen, y'all. My life was radically changed when the Holy Spirit came into my life and in partnership with Jesus began to remove the masks that, that so protected me, that so defined me, that made me acceptable in your eyes, in anybody's eyes. I thought I had to wear these masks in order to be tolerated even. Or desired. I had so many masks on that it took Jesus years to actually bring me to a place of authenticity. And now it is my passion that none of us think that we can come into relationship with one another. That we could come into the house of worship and that we have to wear masks to protect 
each other from how we really think or feel. Because <clears throat> the truth is, God is this small if we have to wear a mask. And we really have no trust or confidence in anybody else's ability to relate to us for who we really are. There is nothing authentic about that. It is control and manipulation and fear. And God cannot do in his church what he wants to do if we hide behind a reality that is not reality. I want to invite you. Would you with me contend to take off the masks of religion, of fear, of control, of manipulation, of lack, of poverty, of victim? My victim mask was like that thick. I mean, Jesus had to constantly show me the cross. Because I thought that my victim was stronger and more powerful than what he had done on the cross. And I am telling you today, it is not. What happened on the cross is profound and powerful and living and active in our lives today. And there is a dying world that could be sleeping in the room next to you. That needs to know the power of Jesus' love to remove your masks, let alone theirs. You see, the only reason why I'm up here is because I told the Lord, what you're doing in me, as painful as it is, it can't just be about me. It cannot just be about my life and my family. Because this is too painful to lose this protection, to lose this facade. And years of inner healing and intimacy with Jesus and crying and weeping and repentance. He showed me the kingdom. He showed me the millions of people that would come to know him. Because there is a bride that is willing to let her light shine. That isn't masking the light and the truth, but is revealing and exposing the reality of who we are as humanity and the way in which we connect and commune with our creator. I want to invite you to stand. If you are here and you have felt the tugging of your heart or maybe even those masks... Holy Spirit is here to partner with you today. If there are feelings and emotions that you have kept so hidden, so private, so personal. That they actually are controlling you. Then I want to invite you to repent. I want to invite you to surrender. And like me, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, ask God to help you see who you really are. Hear him call your name and your identity. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your powerful, powerful presence. I thank you that you are here to heal and restore and redeem But you are here to to walk with us that we would walk in a trusting relationship with the Father. And Lord, I'm very aware that there are those here that have not been able to trust you to remove the masks. 
And I'm asking that right now you would grace them, empower them with the ability to feel. To be authentic. Right now I see the Father blowing on some of you these words that were spoken over you as a child. Words like, well, that was stupid. And you heard, you're stupid. And you have worn those words and you have said those words to yourself time and time and time again. Right now, I break the power of those lies. You are not stupid. You were made in the image and the likeness of God, the creator. You are wise. You are valuable. You are beautiful. And others, I'm, I'm hearing, you are not to be trusted. Someone said that to you one time. I, can't, I just can't trust you. I just can't trust that you're going to tell me the truth. And I hear the Father saying, I trust you. I've trusted you with my love. I've trusted you with my son. I've trusted you with my truth. I trust you with my authority. I trust you with my love. Father, I thank you for the exchange that's taking place today. That even right now, you are exchanging lies for truth. I thank you that the only thing that matters is what you say. That the truest thing about us is what you say about us. And it is in that place that we war, that we stand, that we rest, that we wrestle. That we are your beloved sons and daughters. In whom you are well pleased And I even, I'm hearing, I wish you were never born. Wow. Wow. I just break off the the spirit of suicide right now in the name of Jesus. If you have wrestled with suicide, if you have wrestled with never wanting to be born or wishing that you were born, I just want to invite you to, to come up front right now. And I know that's a hard thing to confess. I wrestled with it for many, many years. I silence shame in Jesus' name. I silence you shame. I speak life. The reason why suicide comes after you is because your life has so much value. Because the enemy is intimidated by you. So he has to taunt you and torture you. If he can convince you, you have no authority and you have no worth, then you will never rise up and defeat him like you were created to. I bless you to walk in truth. Some of you haven't wrestled with any of this, but you know people who have and are. There is an authority that is rising up within you in this room today. Grab hold of it. Some of you are going to meet people this week and something that the Lord said to you today is going to come back and you're going to speak truth and you're going to snatch them out of hell. Snatch them right out of hell. We have to matter, church. Do you want to matter? Because you do. You do. Jesus, I thank you that against all odds, against all odds, 
against all odds. We were all born for such a time as this. And that every plan and attack of the enemy has failed. Every plan and attack of the enemy has failed time and time and time again. Hear that truth. All right, would you just put your hands out? Father, I receive your love. Father, I just say that. Father, I receive your love. I receive the identity that you have breathed into me. You are my creator, my father, my friend. Your words are truer than anyone else's words. They hold more authority. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you need ministry, come on up. But I know God has been ministering to every single one of us here today. I've been receiving ministry of the Spirit. Don't leave here the same as when you came in. That's the, that's the invitation. And if you need to talk to someone, find them now. Connect with someone If there's something you've been feeling that you are so afraid to confess or even acknowledge, would you find somebody here today? Would you commit to embracing reality in partnership with the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. Ministry team, come on up. I know it's late. I know there's football games going on and all of that. But let me tell you, we come together one day. We come together one day. Let's give it all we've got. Amen? If you just play some music, that would be great.